Nice. This is great. This is like a great collection of questions because I, I, you know, I'm always <laughs> talking about like Achilles tendon pain, hamstring tendon pain, <laughs> shin splints, uh, runner's knee, um, IT band. And yeah, this is cool. So we can talk about some other stuff. If you have ever asked yourself, how do I run a race injury free or get out of the constant injury cycle? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Healthy Runner, where I will teach you how to enjoy lifelong injury-free running so you can continue getting in those mental clearing runs and even hitting PRs well into your 40s, 50s, and beyond. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, avid half marathoner, coach, running physical therapist, and founder of Spark Physical Therapy Healthy Runner, where we help dedicated runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with the perfect online running coach, even if you have been told to stop running with an injury. Learn more about our signature coaching program at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow the show on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks for joining me. Now on to the show. Hey, healthy runners, are you ready for your glow up? Have you guys heard the news yet? Knox Gear's signature product, the Tracer, which I have been glowing about, see what I did there, for the better part of nine months now, has just been re-engineered for a better fit, higher visibility, more color modes, and twice the LEDs for your brightest move yet with the Tracer 2. All of our healthy runners use Knox Gear during this time of the year when the days are getting shorter in order to get in those runs, even if it is dark outside. One of my pet peeves is when I'm driving and I don't see a runner until the last minute because they're not visible because they're not using Knox Gear. We're all about runner health on this podcast and Knox Gear's Tracer 2 is an essential running tool to keep you safe and visible while running. The Tracer 2 keeps me lit up from all directions during my 5.30 a.m. runs, and I always get shout-outs and comments from other walkers and people traveling in cars because they notice the light display I'm giving off. If you are looking for running gear that will actually help you stay safe while running, we've got a special offer for you where you can save 35% off by using the code HEALTHYRUNNER. Just head to noxgear.com. That's N-O-X-G-E-A-R dot com and use the code HEALTHYRUNNER at checkout to save 35% off. Go ahead and give Knox Gear a try. Trust me, you will never feel safer running. All right. Hello and welcome to episode 129 on the Healthy Runner podcast, where we help you get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running. We are turning the tables on our very own host today. I'm Allie Eldridge, the person you don't see behind the scenes, editing all of the episodes, and I'm taking over the mic today for an Ask Dwayne episode to answer all of your running, health, and other fun questions that you submitted and wanted to ask Dwayne. If you didn't know we were doing this episode and you had a burning question for Dwayne, then make sure you're following us on social media, either on Instagram at SparkHealthyRunner or subscribe to our email list on our website at SparkHealthyRunner.com so you get notified when we do the next Ask Dwayne episode. We would like to do these about once every quarter because we know you have such great questions. And if you are wondering it, most likely another runner is also wondering the same thing. So welcome to your own show, Dwayne. <laughs> Wow. Thank you for the introduction. That was awesome. <laughs> Amazing. 
Yeah. Thank you for having me on the Health Warner <laughs> podcast. This is awesome, Allie. I love it. Great intro. Um, this is exciting. I like doing these. Um, we've had a lot of questions in the past, and I know people have tended to like to listen to these episodes when I look at the analytics. So um, yeah, I want to try to get these in there on kind of a somewhat routine basis where it's not a specific kind of focused topic that we're really just asking any and all questions. Um, so for anyone who is hopping on here on the live and you want to still get your question in, we may be able to get to it. So drop it in the comment box if you're within our Healthy Runner Facebook group on the live. So we always have new listeners checking out the podcast or joining our Healthy Runner community on Facebook. So I'm going to start the show just like you do for every episode with a little dynamic warm up. Do you mind just sharing with our listeners who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm Dr. Dwayne Scotty, avid half marathoner, got a half marathon coming up this weekend. Let's go. Uh, running physical therapist and coach and hoster, uh, host of this Healthy Runner podcast and founding owner and creator of Spark Healthy Runner, um, where we really help runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with the perfect online running coach, um, even if you've been told to stop running with an injury in the past. Um, so yeah, that is me. And I'm just super excited for anyone who's listening to this, maybe the first time or you're new to our um, audience. Um, I am entirely grateful for all of you for listening uh, and allowing me to actually do this. And because this is my passion, this is what I love. Um, just really passionate about helping runners learn, um, you know, proper techniques, um, proper health related topics, how to train in a safe, healthy way, but still be able to be competitive and get stronger and run faster. So super passionate about it. And I am grateful to have you guys here uh, joining us for this ride. Yeah. And actually, Allie, you need to share with all of us because the last time <laughs> that you were on the podcast was episode 100. And um, that was back in December that we hit that milestone. And when we talked back then, you weren't even a runner at that time. But since then, you now have completed your first ever 5k. So I would love for you to kind of update us on how like your first time ever doing structured running went, doing a 5k. Yeah. What did you think about that whole experience? Yeah. So it was definitely an experience. Um, I ended up loving the training of it. Um, coach cat came up with a plan for me and it coincided just like super well with my dancing at the time. So it was nice to have that outside of work. Cause like I work as a dancer. So it was, you know, I was doing all that and I wanted to have something else to do that wasn't my work exercise. So it was nice to like turn running into a hobby. Um, so I was able to do running like three times a week, um, on the treadmill to start. And I was doing like the run to walk plan. Um, and there were a couple days like at the start where I was like, I can't do this. I literally can't do this. And then I just like continued to believe in myself and I ended up being fine. Um, ended up getting hurt in like the middle of it at rehearsal. Um, so I had to take a little while off, but then got back to it, which was really nice. So this um, was a dance relating injury, not a running. Related yeah, injury. no, okay. it was a dance. Right. Just want to clarify. Yeah. A dance related mess up, which was sad. Um, but I'm fine. We're back. We're healthy. We're good. <laughs> so, um, finish out training. And then right before the 5k had like a breakup happen. And I 
texted Dwayne and I was like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I really want you to think about it. Like, and I texted coach cat too, and all my friends. And they were like, absolutely not. You're doing it. Like you're doing it. You'll regret it if you don't. And I woke up the morning of the 5k and I was like, I'm not going, it's not happening. And then, so I wrote this start time of the race was like 8 36, maybe. I think I threw off my covers in bed at like 7 50. And I was like, you're going. So I went and I did it and it was great. I, now that I'm reflecting on it, like I definitely want to do it again with a different morning prep <laughs> because that morning prep was rough, but it was very spontaneous. And I didn't want to let those months of training go to waste. And coach Kat told me that once I do it, it's mine and nobody can take it away from me. And those words like echoed through my head the entire time I was running. And for a girl who said she would never run, I was really proud of my time. And I was really proud that I finished. And now I caught the bug and I'm running again. And it's great. And I'm really happy that I did it and that I didn't <laughs> give up on myself. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. no, we are super proud of you. Um, I think many of us can relate to kind of going through hardship struggles, um, personal life, and, you know, it affects kind of running and you ran through, you know, the hardest parts of the year, the cold parts of the year, you did a lot of running on the treadmill initially, and then had the struggle of like, now running on the road and mm -hmm. how that feels different and the adjustment. And I'm just super proud of you for doing it because I know how hard it was for you just emotionally, like that you literally had that happen, like a day or two before the race. <laughs> um, and that you actually did it. And like you said, you know, no one could take it away from you. So you ran a 5k, mm -hmm. you are now officially running. Um, <laughs> and I love that. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. Maybe the next time we do this, we'll be sharing um, more about your running journey. But if anyone is listening to this, let's say you are like super new to running, um, like Allie was, and you thought you can never run. Um, we actually shared Allie's full journey on kind of Allie um, being a dancer turned into a runner, or Allie's going to run her first 5K on mm -hmm. our Instagram um, page. So at Spark Healthy Runner. And if you go to the videos section, and you'll see there's like topics and you'll see actually you could just pick like the alley, you know, runs her first 5k topic and you can see like literally um, Allie kind of documenting her journey, like each week on, you know, what she struggled with, what she was feeling, you know, when things went right, when things went wrong. Um, I think it, it will help you in your journey if you are just starting out. So you might want to check that out. Um, but yeah, thanks for doing that. And thanks for being a good sport about sharing your experience. And um, yeah, we look forward to seeing your future running wins um, as you move <laughs> along in your journey. Yeah, me too. I'm excited about it. So for my running brain, let's get into these questions so I can learn some stuff too. Um, so our first question, Susanna from our coaching program asks um, from Instagram, what is the best foot strike for running? Great question, Susanna. Um, thank you very much for asking that because we get that question a lot. And, you know, I guess I'll give you first the answer of in terms of like injury reduction or um, is there a difference in injuries, running related injuries 
with different types of foot strike patterns? And the answer to that, based upon the evidence that's available now at this time, at the time of this recording in um, May of 2022, uh, there is no differences in terms of foot strike pattern that's been associated or linked with increased running related injuries. However, we do know that we see different types of injuries with different foot strike patterns. Um, usually we see more knee, hip, lower back related pains um, and injuries in those that are heel strikers and those that are toe strikers. So let's go to the opposite extreme. So there's really basically three main types of um, foot striking pattern. Either you strike with your heel, you strike with your midfoot, or you strike with your toes first, and you're like a toe runner. Um, the toe runners will definitely have more foot related um, types of injuries. So metatarsalgia, Morton's neuroma, uh, maybe plantar fasciitis, maybe bunion pain, um, first toe pain because it's rigid and you don't have enough mobility in your first toe. So we tend to see those types of injuries. So you know, that's kind of from a research standpoint. However, I will say, Susanna, based upon a lot of the research out there and a lot of the running experts that I have talked with um, or conferences I've went to, there is a pretty clear consensus that most um, running experts would favor someone to have more of a midfoot strike pattern due to the decreased ground reaction forces that come up through your foot and ankle up into the lower leg um, and up the shin. So like if you get shin splints, right? Like there's definitely going to be um, decreased forces that are transmitted through your body by doing a midfoot strike pattern, as well as usually most people who are midfoot strikers will not be overstriding. And really overstriding is one of the kind of things that is associated with um, a heel strike pattern. So even for preventative purposes, now even my mind mindset has shifted a bit in these last couple of years after more and more um, running experts that I have um you know, went to conferences and heard from, and the majority of them really feel strongly that even if you don't have any injuries, that it is better for your long-term running health to convert to being a midfoot striker. However, I do want to say like, are there elite runners who are heel strikers and they're elites and they're absolutely phenomenal? Yes, of course there are. Um, the majority of us listening to this are not elite runners. Um, we're right. The recreational runner. And I do feel like long-term running health, you're going to be better off in the long run if you can adopt more of a midfoot strike pattern. Um, and the other caveat I'll add to that is it takes time to change and adapt and change your running form. And there are different drills that you can do. There are different progressions. There are different variables we can play around with your shoes and your heel drop that can help transition to a midfoot strike pattern. And I know for me personally, it took me years to do that. So if you are thinking about considering because of what I just said, and it's like, hey, you should be a midfoot striker. I'm not saying that that will reduce your injuries by any means. Um, and I'm not saying that you should start adopting that now and start adopting it while you're in like peak training and you're running hard, fast runs and really long runs. The best time to change that is kind of, right after you're coming off your off season and your mileage is lower 
and you're not running a lot of hard, fast um, workouts. So that's kind of the best time to make like drastic changes um, to your running form. So I guess I'll kind of give that little bit of advice there. But yeah, I would say that um, the majority and consensus of most running experts would probably say it is favorable to have more of that midfoot strike pattern. Awesome. Super interesting to hear all that. And I was going to ask you like when the best time is and everything, but you got there. That's good. Nice. Um, <laughs> so from our healthy runner Facebook community, um, Lisa H wants to know, how do I increase my stride without overstriding and without decreasing cadence? Okay. So I think the question is really like increase your stride. So you have like longer strides. Maybe you can be like more efficient, I'm assuming, and maybe faster. Um, but you don't want to overstride because you heard overstriding is bad, which you're right. That is where your foot is actually landing out in front of your knee and your foot's actually hitting the ground and your knee is like way back behind that. Um, because that's like running like with the parking brake on essentially. Um, so I agree that we don't want to overstride, but you also don't want to decrease your cadence. So you want to try to maintain a faster cadence. So there's a couple of things is number one, to prevent overstriding. There are a couple of cues that you can think about when you're running, um, and just think like knee drive, like leading with your knees, like knee drive, knee drive, as opposed to reaching out with your foot and trying to like stride long. And that's what most people kind of think, Hey, I need to open up my stride to run faster. Let me stride long. And then they wind up overstriding. So trying to think of that cue as the knee. And then I like to think of it as like running on hot coals um, and just thinking leg turnover. So as soon as your foot hits the ground, pop it up, pop it up, pop it up. Um, and then, you know, we have tools now. So we do have tools of, you know, looking at cadence on your watch, especially um, that's going to be a little bit more accurate. If you can use a heart rate monitor, um, that is going to track that. So, you know, myself, I've been trying to increase my cadence, um, little by little, and I'm especially aware of it, um, during my slower runs, because that's when it can tend to go a little bit lower. Most people, uh, when they run faster, so if they're doing a specific workout, a tempo run an interval run races, obviously your cadence is going to naturally increase. It's hard for most people to maintain a high cadence for an easy run effort. So when we're running at a slower pace, so just thinking of foot hit the ground, it's like running on hot coals, like pop it up, pop it up, pop it up, and then just drive with your knee to prevent that overstriding. drive with your knee, lead with the knee. So when your foot hits the ground, the knee is over that ankle. But yeah, there's actually more. Um, we got into this really in depth in episode 117 with um, Dr. Doug Adams. So fellow PT running expert, um, he had amazing tips on different types of running form. So uh, Lisa, if you haven't checked out episode 117, I would definitely do that. Um, you will find some really helpful tips that Doug shared as well. And I will drop that link Um to anyone who's listening to this, either video version or the podcast version um, within the show notes. Awesome. So off of that, what does the heart rate monitor have to do with knowing the cadence on the watch? Are they connected? They are. Yeah. So yeah. So external heart rate, great question. Um, external heart rate monitors, even though they are not hundred percent accurate either, they are better than just getting your heart rate off of your wristwatch. Um, depending upon the person, um, you know, I've heard little tips of like having your watch a little bit higher up on the wrist helps with the accuracy and keeping it tight. 
So if it's like super loose on your wrist, it's not going to be that reliable in detecting mm-hmm. heart rate and even cadence. Um, but basically it's tracking your steps and it would relate to your arm swing essentially. So it's tracking your cadence, but the heart rate monitor does have an, a, um, I can't think of the word, whatever it's called, like a pedometer, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. like you can put in your shoe if you want to like track your steps and it's, it's calculating kind of your bouncing, like the up and down movement. So that's just helping kind of track every time you hit the ground and it gets vertical oscillation. It gives you like all these, um, kind of, um, analytics essentially that like Garmin tracks or whatever watch that you're using uh, track. So it is a little bit more accurate and you can get more, more analytics with the heart rate uh, monitor strap. So I'll tend to, you know, use those if I really am trying to do a good job at keeping my heart rate down for those easy runs, or I will definitely use it for my harder runs Um, So my workouts, so tempo runs, threshold pace runs, or interval runs, just because it will give me a little bit more accurate um, pacing as well as, you know, cadence and looking at some of the other analytics. Awesome. Cool. 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 Um, Okay. So from Facebook messenger, um, the question is, do you have any suggestions for runners trots? I can go to the bathroom two to three times before I run and still get hit by them. Yeah. So, uh, the good old trots, um, this is, you know, definitely something that plagues, um, many runners. And, you know, I guess the first, um, thing that I want to mention is if you do have a diagnosed or undiagnosed, um, you know, GI disorder going on, Um, that would be the first thing I would definitely clear. Like I know there are many runners who have Crohn's disease and, you know, depending upon when they get flare ups and there are different, you know, gastrointestinal diseases, disorders that you can get these patterns where you cycle, um, in, you know, days or weeks where you have a flare up essentially and running just, I think it's really the up and down bouncing type movement that can get the motility going in your GI system. And unfortunately can have to, you know, you're like in the middle of a run and then boom, it like just hits you and you're like, Oh my goodness, where in the heck is a bathroom? Right. And you're trying to find one. Like if you've been running long enough, like this has definitely happened to you. Like I've definitely been there before. It is not fun, not comfortable whatsoever. And it's like, it can be really hard to like, continue to run to wherever you need to run, um, without having to go. So this is something that, um, like I said, is fairly common. Um, it just depends upon how often it occurs. Right. So I know myself personally, it's like, if I get a GI virus or a GI bug, it's like for the next week or two, even though I don't feel like I have a fever, I'm sick or anything, my GI system still messed up when I go out for my runs and it's just, yeah, it's terrible. Um, you know, the biggest thing I would say, um, beyond if there is a true GI thing happening, like first off, go to a GI doc, like get evaluated, make sure there's nothing else going on, right. That could explain some symptoms of an actual disorder that could be treated a certain way. I am by no means a GI specialist. Um, but I would say if it is something that maybe you have gone to a GI doc and they're like, Hey, everything's normal. All tests came back negative. Um, I don't know what it is. 
you know, we do know that anxiety can increase this. And we actually just talked about this in a recent episode, um, episode 127 um, with Coach Kat and um, Irene Bosco, who is a mental health um, expert. And she shared kind of five ways to deal with race anxiety. A lot of people, when they are more anxious, then they'll tend to go to the bathroom. So that's why we always recommend like for races, because everyone's got a little butterflies going on in their stomach for a race um, that can cause your GI system to stir up and you might need to go. And sometimes you don't realize it until you start running. And so just like kind of the, you know, the, the runner who asked this question said, you like trying to go beforehand and then definitely planning out like the nutrition aspect and dialing that in and, you know, trying different things that work for you from a GI standpoint, um, in general generalizations here, um, this won't work for everyone, but, you know, definitely staying away from, you know, number one, you know, the fatty, greasy fried foods, spicy foods, um, will certainly irritate the gut. Um, I've been there before, had a dinner out at a restaurant late night, had some beverages. And then the next morning that run, yeah, I was like running to the bathroom during the middle of my run, right? Like not fun whatsoever. Um, and then you learn from those experiences and like, Hey, if I really have a run that really matters to me and I need to get this long run in and or a race, this is what I don't eat. Right. So, and you kind of learn. Um, so those foods would definitely not be good. And then the other thing is like high fibery foods. So, you know, you want to think about, especially if you get up really early to run, you know, your dinner before, especially if you eat a late dinner, you know, if you're eating at like seven, eight, nine at night, and you're going to bed like an hour, two or three after that, you know, we want more faster digesting carbs versus like high fibery stuff. So almost think of it like a race prep and think easily digestible carbs, blander the foods, usually the better on the gut. Um, so, you know, they're not going to be flavorful, um, but usually they'll settle in your stomach a little better when your stomach's bouncing around. And then the other thing is, is also training your gut. And this is what I learned from uh, Claire Bortholic, who is on the podcast um, before kind of the plant-based runner. Um, she shared tips of like training the gut to actually tolerate regular food. And I actually started implementing um, that after that episode, because I was always a um, drink or gel person for fueling before my runs. And then I started doing like medjool dates and I use my, you can, um, almond butter with some medjool dates to give me some energy before all of my runs now. So I fuel for every run, um, no matter if it's like an easy effort, hard effort. And in the beginning it was weird because my stomach wasn't used to it, but like she had mentioned, it's kind of like training your muscles. You can train your gut to actually tolerate foods and then go ahead and run. So I would say that and take baby steps, right? Like start out with a little bit, like literally one medjool date, right? Or half, um, or like half a piece of toast or half a banana, um, you know, starting out with those kind of little bits to allow your GI system to kind of test the waters, see what it can tolerate. And then you can always increase um, from that point. But yeah, you're not alone. Um, number one, we've all been there at some point in our running journey. And yeah, it's definitely not fun <laughs> by any means. Um, but those are some of the things, ho hopefully that's helpful for you. Um, basically to summarize there, make sure you're properly evaluated by a medical professional uh, to make sure there isn't any other disease disorder and this could be the beginning symptoms. 
And then make sure the anxiety stuff is taken care of. You know, are you anxious? And if you are, that could be contributing to it. And then think about what you're eating and nutrition wise, you know, even the night before a run, the morning of a run, um, especially if you're having irritants, like maybe too much caffeine and you're drinking too much coffee right before you go out for a run. Those are things that can kind of stimulate your uh, GI system. Awesome. It's so interesting. And I like... I'm on TikTok like all the time scrolling and I always come up like across these things about like healing your gut. And I think it's so interesting to hear how like it even plays into like running and like how your stomach like handles food. And I love what you said about like train your muscles. You can train your gut. Like it's so interesting. So interesting. Um, so the next question is kind of another health and wellness, um, medical question. Um, but Chris from our healthy runner coaching program, and I find this so funny because this happens to me when I dance all the time, but any tips and tricks to help with exercise induced rhinitis, which is a runny nose. Nice. This is great. This is like a great collection of questions. Cause I, I you know, <laughs> I'm always talking about like Achilles tendon pain, hamstring tendon pain, <laughs> shin splints, uh, runner's knee, um, it band. And yeah, this is cool. So we could talk about some other stuff. Um, right. so a runny nose or rhinitis, um, you know, honestly, I needed to actually look this up myself, Chris. Um, apparently there's a lot out there. <laughs> if you just search and Chris is a medical provider, so he could do a little, uh, you know, article search here. There's actually a bunch of literature out there. And th- apparently the most common cause is allergies. So allergic rhinitis is the most common cause and it is triggered by those things that cause allergies. So environmental usually um, like pollen, dust, um, dust mites. um, And that's the most uh, common form. And that usually is associated with allergic conjunctivitis or watery eyes or itchy eyes. My eyes are probably red right now because I have allergies. And this is the season right now where, you know, I'll have some red itchy eyes, Um, knock on wood. It's actually hasn't been that bad this season. I'll tell you the truth. So I'm a little, I don't want to jinx things, but uh, yeah. Um, You know, other forms like non-allergic causes of exercise induced um, rhinitis is really somewhat of a mystery apparently. And there are some other causes such as like chemical irritants, fumes, um, strong odors uh, that can just irritate your nasal passages. Um, So then it's just a matter of like decreasing your exposure to those irritants. Um, Then apparently there is a emotional induced rhinitis caused by stress and emotions. Seriously, Um, no joke. (laughs) And actually a 2014 study revealed that people with higher stress levels experience more runny noses, coughs, and congestion than people who had less stress. So more of a reason to work on our stress reduction techniques and do some breathing techniques and reduce some of our stress. And then, um, there's like a vasomotor rhinitis, which is a catch-all category, apparently of non-allergic, uh, rhinitis. That is basically when all other forms have been ruled out. So it sounds like most likely Chris, uh, you're probably, um, having somewhat of an allergic reaction. So I guess my question to you is like, do you have allergies, right? Do you have springtime allergies? Are you allergic to pollen? Um, because that will stir it up. I know for me, that's definitely the case. So I am allergic to grass as well as trees. And I have actually been seeing an allergist for 
probably a decade now. I actually used to start out with like the shots and then really we maxed out on what that can do. So now the last couple of years, my allergist uh, basically sets me up with an allergy plan um, every single year. And it's more of like a proactive prevention type plan um, where I take like Montelukast basically to help with breathing like the night before. And then um, I take a nasal spray and then I wind up taking eye drops and they're all basically anti, um, you know, allergenic medications um, that I just get from my pharmacy and knock on wood, that's been working out very good um, for me. Um, is my nose still runny in the springtime more so? Absolutely. Especially I've been really working on like my breathing technique and using my diaphragm, especially my easy runs where I'll like literally close my mouth and see if, cause I was like a huge mouth breather, huge mouth breather. Like, I think that's all I ran. It was like mouth breathing. It was like, see like smoke coming out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> so now I'll like actually close my mouth and just focus on breathing through my nose, nose breathing and using my diaphragm. And unfortunately that does kind of cause more like runny nose. Um, so I hear you, Chris, it's definitely a little bit of a struggle. You know, the one thing that my allergist actually recommended to me is if you could run, and especially like most of us experience this with COVID, um, especially initially, if we were running outside, like trying to run with a mask, um, never worked for me. Um, however, that was like before my breathing got a little better. So it'd be interesting to try again. But she did say that she has some uh, runners who run with like more of the sports kind of running mask, like that Under Armour makes. So perhaps if you wanted to decrease your exposure to allergens, then you can use a mask and that might help you a little bit. Again, for me, it's like trade-off of like how hard is it run to run on the mask and how much is the runny nose bothering you? Um, it's kind of a little trade-off, but yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because most allergens or more um, predominant in the air in the early morning hours, um, which is when most runners run. Um, so yeah, it is a tough time. And if it's real windy day, and the pollen counts higher, you know, maybe consider if it is a big issue doing a treadmill workout that day and, or changing your plan to where, Hey, there's like humidity coming in or a rainstorm coming in. That's going to knock all the pollen out of the air. Then maybe wait for that to like get a hard workout or like a long run in, you know, maybe try to plan it around the weather and the pollen counts in your area. But hopefully that was helpful for you. I am not an allergist by trade, nor was I a GI doc, but <laughs> I can give you my uh, best informed uh, research uh, answer. Love that. That's interesting to hear that like, like other uses for the masks than just like, obviously what we've been using them for and how you can like implement them with like exercise too. But I know recently like the pollen has been so bad. Like I walk outside of my car is just covered and like, it's horrible right now. So the runny noses yeah. are, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Good time for allergic runners. <laughs> I know. I actually had a mask before COVID started. I had like an allergy mask. I found one at Lowe's because I love uh, gardening and landscaping. And like, I used to cut my own lawn and now I just don't have time. So now I've fortunately, unfortunately hired someone to do it, but it's been actually a blessing. So now it's gotten some more time back for me. Um, but when I was doing that and I'm mowing the lawn and the grass is flying around, I was like sneezing every two seconds. My eyes were like, look bloodshot all the time. Um, so I did use a mask actually. Um, they make like specific allergy masks and yeah, that was before all of COVID. And yeah, wow. that was like the first mask I used when COVID first happened. <laughs> oh, wow. So interesting. 
Now, you know how passionate I am about strength training in order to run, and that runners who don't do any strength work are more likely to suffer some of those stubborn running injuries, whether it's runner's knee, plantar fasciitis, IT band syndrome, or tendonitis. And one of the keys to becoming a healthy runner is dedicating time to strength training. However, I get it. It's hard to dedicate the time, get motivated, and have the energy to get in the strength work whether you are going to the gym or you're working out in your basement or living room in the early mornings like I do before work or if you're doing it after work in the evening. I have been on the lookout for a truly healthy pre-workout option to help with energy and focus during my workouts and post-run that will also provide a nutritional boost so I can maximize my recovery and performance when strength training. That is why I am super pumped, literally, that I found Perform from the Amino Company. Perform is an essential amino acid-based formulation that I simply add to water in my shaker bottle and have 30 minutes before my run or gym workout. It tastes great and is easy on my stomach. Perform helps improve mental focus, peak strength, endurance, reduces fatigue, and increases muscle protein synthesis so you can recover faster from your runs or your strength training. I feel great since I have switched my pre-workout to Perform, but what I feel most happy about is that I know exactly what I am putting in my body and that it is backed by real research and science. I actually brought on one of the leaders in amino acid research, Dr. Robert Wolf, on the show during episode 92 of the podcast. If you want a deeper dive on the effects and the literature out there on amino acids, hear my chat with Dr. Wolf as I am sure you will be as impressed as I was learning more about essential amino acids and their effects on us as runners. There is actually an abundance of research out there documenting the efficacy of essential amino acids with over hundreds of studies demonstrating improvements in focus, performance, and recovery from those long runs and hard effort session workouts. If you're looking for a nutritional performance advantage, we've got a special offer for you where you can save 30% and get a free gift using the code HEALTHYRUNNER. Just head to aminoco.com slash healthyrunner. That's A-M-I-N-O-C-O dot com slash healthyrunner. And use the code HEALTHYRUNNER at checkout to save 30%. Just a little bit of a story. So stay with me. Love but stories. Caroline, there, it's good. It's a, it's a good chunk. Caroline, who is an email subscriber, sent in this message. She says, hi, Dween. I have an overuse injury from a year ago, pubic remus stress fracture to be exact. Since recovering, I have been only running three times a week. I did a 10-mile run a few weeks ago. Good job. And have continued my PT strength training regimen and will continue and expand this. Before the injury, I was running 30 miles a week, no strength or cross training and not being mindful of fueling. So I learned a lot through my injury and won't be going back to my previous ways. My question is this, when can I start adding in another day or so of running? I now do two shorter runs during the week and a long run on the weekend. I do cross training in between and definitely get a rest day in, which I never did before. I am afraid to add another day because my PT made me feel that running more than three times a week isn't a good idea, but I think a short three mile run thrown in there could be fine. 
What are your thoughts about this? If I add more, I would continue my regimen of strengthening exercises, cross training on other days, ensuring I am not under fueling as well as rest days. Best, Carolyn. Wow, what an awesome question, Carolyn. And first off, like kudos to you because it sounds like you really educated yourself and really made positive changes to your health and running um, regimen. So I love that. Um, because sometimes it's even hard for us to make changes, right? And obviously this was something that really forced you to make a change in how you approached running. And I love that you're looking to do it in a healthy way. So first off, um, thanks for your question. And um, I guess to answer your question, there's a couple of really what we call positive prognostic indicators here, um, meaning like there's a positive outlook for your running in that number one, your stress fracture was a year ago. So that's a long time ago. Your bone has healed. Your bone has healed literally after six to eight, maybe 12 weeks um, after your stress fracture to begin with. And it sounds like you've done a nice steady progressive increase. Um, the reason why people do get stress fractures is essentially we're overloading bone at too fast of a rate than it's ready for. Could there be nutritional things that are happening where you're deficient in certain nutrients um, and fueling possibly was a contributing factor as well, but we've basically overloaded bone too much. The bone said, what are you doing? Like I am going to react back to you. And first it starts with a stress reaction and there's inflammation. And then that progresses if it's, you know, that stress isn't really taken down a notch and then results in a stress fracture. Um, so as long as you don't have a huge spike in training load, meaning, you know, you go from, let's say you did a 10 miler, you're doing two shorter runs, let's say to three or four milers. So you're doing essentially like 16, 18 miles per week right now. If you're like, all right, I'm doing 16 to 18 miles per week um, this week. And next week, I'm going to go back up to my 30 miles that I was doing. That'd be a huge spike in training load, right? So as long as you do it in a slow, gradual, progressive fashion, and it sounds like you've taken care of your fueling. It sounds like you've been doing great strengthening exercise, which is helps stimulate bone formation, strengthens your bones, strengthens your muscles in and around your bones. That's going to be protective for you when you're running. So there's decreased stress through your bone. Um, so all of those are great things. Um, I think it is perfectly fine for you to increase to four days a week, unless there's something else that you're not telling me that your PT knows, um, because they will know your past medical history and how you've been feeling and what you're actually doing. So I will never say that my you know, thoughts here are going to trump someone who's been working with you closely. Um, but in general, uh, most runners, I do always, always, always like to encourage them to bump up to four days of running per week. Um, it's going to be rare that I have someone stay at three days. And the reason for that is it's going to be more protective for your body to actually run more frequently throughout the week than infrequently. So, you know, four days is usually a minimum for me. If someone's running a 5k, a first 5k, like you, Allie, um, three days, plan? Yes, absolutely. Um, but once you've been running for six to 12 months, um, there's no reason you shouldn't be running four days a week. But remember that running doesn't need to be five miles every single day, right? You might have a two miler in there. You might have a three mile, right? Like they're not going to be three days of five mile runs and then a 10 mile run on the weekend. 
So there's a science to how we build up um, our bodies and tolerating the demands of running. And you want to think different training cycles and building up different goals. You want to think each day has a purpose, whether it's an easy run, whether you're going to work on some faster running and do a specific workout. So all of those variables change and they add variety to the stresses in your body throughout your week. So it winds up being more protective, you know, increasing to four days than staying at three days, especially Carolyn, if you ever want to run a half marathon, which I'm assuming you're doing a 10 mile long run, like you can run a half. It's really hard to train for a half on a three-day plan. Have I had runners who have done it? Yes. Um, could their performance be better if they bumped to four days? Absolutely. I almost want to say it's virtually impossible to run a marathon on a three-day plan. I've had runners that I've worked with that they literally um, couldn't do a four-day plan because their job was so demanding. And, um, you know, they were a surgeon, they were like working overnight hours, on-call hours, and just their schedule was absolutely chaotic. And even though I built a four-day plan, they never got in four runs a week and it affects performance for a marathon. So it's almost virtually impossible if you want to run a marathon a safe way and build up. So increasing to a four-day plan, um, I think will actually be more protective for your body um, in the long run as you continue your lifelong uh, running journey. So thanks for your question, Carolyn. Great question. And I love that you've really dedicated to kind of switching um, things around in your training and your outlook of running. So very, very um, really good experience for many of the listeners um, to learn from and to kind of prevent, right? A stress fracture from happening in the first place. Yeah. Awesome story and awesome answer and good luck, Carolyn. Um, so Michael from our healthy runner coaching program submitted a few questions via email. He says, I hope all is well. I hope I'm not too late. My question, um, that I hope will help other their runners in our sport community and anyone else dealing with challenges. Okay. He says, what is the total time frame for complete healing from a lower extremity tendinitis, no pain back to hundred percent. And then also why does it take so long for tendons to completely heal? Okay. So, yeah. So Michael, thank you so much for your question. Um, Coach Kat and I are extremely happy with your progress. Um, you are just crushing your training in our program. Um, I'm just so happy for you um, to be running um, really essentially pain-free at this point when you were struggling for so long. So really the question relates to tendonitis, um, total time frame for complete healing, um, no pain back to 100%. Man, that's so tough to answer, uh, Michael. I'm not going to lie. I'm not trying to dodge this question. I will say that Achilles tendon and hamstring tendon, proximal hamstring tendinopathy, in my clinical experience, has taken far longer to heal versus a posterior tibial tendon, or let's say you have patellar tendinopathy or tendinitis, um, or what's another example? We have peroneal tendinitis. That's another running related one. Those are going to be your common culprits, um, because they are different forms. So first off the, um, the Achilles tendon is a specific, um, it's unique versus any other tendon in the body. Um, 
to begin with. So there are different layers to the tendon of the Achilles and the blood flow is extremely poor in the Achilles. And that's really the, the answer to kind of the second part of your question is why does it take so long for tendons to heal versus other areas of the body versus the muscle? Let's say, let's just compare muscle to tendon. So for those that don't, don't know, tendons connect muscle to bones. And unfortunately that's where, you know, we get these tendonitis. I'm just going to call them tendonitis for now, but I think another part of Michael's question will kind of clarify that progression, but the tendon itself is being overloaded. So it's fighting back and saying like, Hey, there's too much load that's happening here. And, you know, part of the reason why they take a while to heal is because we have to decrease pain levels first and then allow them to regenerate essentially. So we need to actually build up load capacity in the tendon to tolerate the demands of running. And this does take time and really tendons do not have great blood flow. And then specifically the Achilles tendon doesn't have hardly any blood flow, um, compared to the others. And it's a huge tendon and it's a long tendon. So it, it's kind of unique in that fashion. And that's why it takes so long. Um, and then the other part of your question, oh yeah, is why they take so long to heal. I kind of covered that. Oh, and then really kind of giving you like a time frame like how long, um, it's all going to depend upon how long you've been having the tendon pain. We do know that Michael, the longer the tendon pain that you've been dealing with, if you've been running through it for three months, six months, nine months, a year, two years, it's going to take three months, six months, nine months, a year, two years to finally be back to hundred percent. So if you get an acute Achilles pain, you've only been having it for a month. It's like you join our healthy runner coaching program. I'm like, piece of cake. First month, we're going through our restorative phase. Guaranteed, you're, you are going to be pain-free. By the end of this first month, we go through this restorative phase. By the second phase of our program, when we start to rebuild your body to get stronger and tolerate the demands of running, you're not even having Achilles pain. However, if someone comes to me now, they've been having Achilles pain for nine months. I'm telling them, okay, the first four weeks of us working together in this restorative phase, we're doing specific exercises for your Achilles tendon, other exercises based upon the problem areas that we assessed, then your pain levels are going to come down and I'm going to keep you running. So you're not going to have to stop running. So your pain levels, if they were maybe a six out of 10 at worst, they're going to be down to like a three range. And that, that would be my you know, prognosis and expectation for four weeks. And then, you know what, in another month, you're probably going to have it down to a one or a two. And then, you know what, in another month, you're going to say, you know what, I'm going on some runs that are like totally pain-free. I forgot I even had an Achilles problem. And then in four months of us working together, you're going to be like, I literally haven't had pain. There was this one day I went for a run and it was a little hilly. And then my like pain came back and reminded me, Hey, I still have this pain. Like that's all normal. That's all normal. How tendons progress in this recovery process. It's not like kind of turning the light switch and one day you have pain the next day you don't. And then it's like healed forever. It is this process. And the thing we want to, um, kind of be mindful of is how long does your pain last when you do get an increase in pain? And then really what's your recovery time after that, right? So did you feel pain just for a couple of minutes during a run or did it like start? And then you felt pain the whole rest of the run after the run, the next, you know, morning when you got up out of bed, was it still painful? So those are all the things that we kind of adjust 
um, your plan, you know, whether it's the run plan, your strength plan, your specific exercise you're doing for that tendon based upon that response. So it will be variable. And I'm sorry, I can't give you a uh, total time frame for complete healing, but I will tell you from clinical experience, um, the longer you've had the problem, the longer it's going to be to get rid of it. And then Achilles and proximal hamstring tendinopathy can take up to a year or sometimes even two years to be like totally never feel it ever. Um, proximal hamstring tendinopathy. And I had that issue as well. It's kind of like one of those things you get rid of it with running, but then you feel it. If you sit for a long period of time, it will kind of come back and let you know the key is doing your long-term management. Like what are the specific exercises you need to do to help stimulate that load to the tendon to build up the capacity in the tendon? So that's kind of the key there. And then I think Michael has a second part, right, Allie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. Um, so he says, can running through soft tissue injuries help speed up recovery of soft tissue injuries, tendonitis, tendinopathy, tendinosis? Is there a clinical difference in your professional opinion between the three? I think a lot of runners may eventually suffer from the above. So this may help clarify and prevent Dr. Google searches. I know you and coach Kat have helped me in this manner. I'm going to attempt to attend. I'll be at my son's sporting event. Hope you're here. Um, and then he says, thanks again, Dwayne, for being in our corner. Adult runners just don't have a lot of professionals such as yourself to encourage continued running. I appreciate the structure and coaching for my rehab. Michael. Oh, awesome. So well, thank you, Michael. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And yeah, like heck man, you got to be at your son's game. Like you got to be there. Like I'm always there for my girls <laughs> for their games and events. So I'm glad that you prioritize that versus actually tuning into this and you can catch the replay. So yeah, this will be uh, hopefully you're enjoying the replay as you're watching. And by the way, if anyone's listening to a replay of this video, whether it is on our spark healthy runner, YouTube channel or in Facebook, like, let me know in the comments, like just put in replay. Um, I would love to see how many people are catching this video version on replay and to kind of answer your question, I guess I'll clarify um, some terminology uh, that you will see out there um, because Michael brings up a good point, a tendonitis versus a tendinopathy versus a tendinosis. So I guess I'll bring the umbrella term first is tendinopathy, which essentially means like disease of a tendon. Um, so it's pathology of a tendon. There's a tendon problem, tendon pain. And then it's a matter of, is it acute itis? So is it an active inflammation? And this typically is going to be more time dependent. So it is usually you were totally fine. You went on a run that had a bunch of hills in it. You pushed it a little too hard. You felt a little tweak in your Achilles. I keep using the Achilles example. Let me use posterior tib um, example. And now you have some pain. And maybe there's some inflammation. Maybe you notice it's a little warm. It's a little hot. It, it just feels pain with every step you take. It's inflamed, right? It's like this itis. Most runners, um, you do the initial kind of rest type of, you know, elevate, ice it. You can do those things, anti-inflammatories. And it, typically, if you do get that type of tendonitis, it will feel better the next couple of days. And if you do the proper management and you don't avoid doing everything, then that will probably go away. But the more common scenario, um, that's the rare example, by the way, 
And we find that in our younger runners. So anyone who might be listening to this that is running cross country, right? Our high schoolers, our um, collegiate athletes who get right back into a semester, get right back into um, the school year and they didn't run over the summer. And now it's the first week of school. Oh yeah, we got track practice right after school or cross country <laughs> practice right after school. And oh yeah, we're going to run five miles. Oh yeah, tomorrow we're going to run six. And next day we're going to run. That's when you can get this acute tendonitis. Most runners listening to this, I'm assuming you're going to be adult uh, runners and you probably have this nagging pain that's been kind of around for a little bit. You've been ignoring it. You've been hoping it goes away on its own. Um, it just, you know, you used to feel it like maybe when you've just started first running and then it loosens up and it feels better as the run goes on. And now it's starting to hurt also at the end of the run. And now it's starting to hurt like when you get out of bed first thing in the morning. And now it's starting to hurt for like every type of run. So it's this like progressive fashion that this pain builds. And really what's happening is your tendon has some dysfunction in it. Maybe it started out as this inflammation, but now it's become this tendinosis where we're getting these degenerative changes to the tendon. And it's just this repetitive trauma, we'll call it, and your body's trying to heal and it's throwing down some scar tissue essentially. So this is like what we call the proliferative phase of healing. We're throwing down fibrin, collagen, and your body is trying to heal itself. But the problem is it's throwing down tissue and healing that is not favorable, that can't withstand the loads and demands of running. So that's where we need to really build up the tendon capacity. And that's where kind of going to your, your question of, is it helpful to keep running essentially um, to speed up recovery of soft tissue injuries? In the case of the itis example, which is more the rare, probably people listening to this, running through that will not help that heal. So you will have to modify. I didn't say stop running. It depends upon, again, the severity, right? If someone's limping with walking, I'm not going to have them run. But if they can walk pain-free, and we can try doing a run walk, perhaps, then I would try to do that. Um, for the OSIS example, most of my runners, I literally will rarely ever shut them down. Um, you know, the one case that is pretty tricky is the less common um, insertional Achilles tendinopathy or uh, tendinitis, tendinosis, where it's right on the bone, where you can have this little bump back there, this Haglund's deformity. I have worked with a couple of runners that it can be irritable and it can be stubborn. So you might need to be a little bit more aggressive in holding them back with their run plan versus the more common example where people get their Achilles pain, let's say 2.5 centimeters from that bone, where it's more this mid portion of the tendon. Those folks, I really ever rarely have them stop running. Maybe we take away some speed work, decrease some long runs in the beginning. But once we get in that restorative phase and actually do the specific exercises that is going to stimulate healing to the tendon, then they do quite well with the running. And I do agree with your point, Michael, that actually running is, you know, helping with the healing process because we're adding load. And as long as we're doing it in a progressive fashion, then that's helping this tendon build up capacity. Um, but there is specific loading exercises for each tendon of the body that you would be prescribed by your rehab provider with the goal of stimulating healing. 
not just strengthening muscles or even strengthening tendons, but the loading of a tendon, actually it's like this process called mechanotransduction actually stimulates healing of the tissue. And it's actually the best thing we can do for chronic tendon pain and these tendinopathies or tendinosis. It's the single best thing you can do is stimulate healing through loading of the tissue. It is the game changer. Um, so there is no fancy device, brace, whatever treatment of choice. And I used to do it all. Like when I was seeing a lot of patients as physical therapy clients, dry needling, Graston technique, ART, whatever, like cupping, whatever you want to do to like a soft tissue. Um, those things will help short-term pain relief, but long-term healing of a tendon to allow you to run is through loading the tissue. Um, so I hope that's great, great topic. And I agree. There's a lot of runners that, yeah, you do the Dr. Google search and it's like regurgitated, um, blog information from big hospitals, essentially, um, that have a lot of outdated information on how we treat tendons nowadays. Um, if you go to a sports medicine rehab provider, um, who's been up in the literature the last decade or two, um, they'll pretty much reiterate what I just told you. Um, but you're right. Dr. Google can be dangerous at times. So great question. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, and yeah, I appreciate you and I appreciate your kind words. Awesome. All right. A couple more here. Um, so Gina on Facebook messenger says, um, how much should she be running cross training and strength training between cycles? Um, want to stay fit and not lose my progress, but I don't want to go into my next cycle too tired. Great question, Gina. Um, so the question is, you just finished running your first half marathon. Kudos to you. So proud of you. Um, and now you're between training cycles. So you're just wondering about how much do you run? How much do you cross train? How much do you strength train? And your goal is to stay fit and not lose your progress, but you don't want to go into your next training cycle too tired. Um, so excellent question. Excellent points. Um, the big uh, key to allowing that is what you want to think about, which is what you're already doing, Gina, is thinking about training cycles. And, um, you know, you had a half marathon training cycle. So now your goals and your, your focus should shift, right? When you were training for your half marathon, the goal and focus was yes, getting you stronger so you can do it healthy, but also really ramping up your long runs, right? Getting into those double digit long runs. So right now that is not the focus. The focus should be on building your body to be stronger, more resilient. So it can tolerate the demands of that next training cycle. If it is going to be a half marathon that you do in the fall. And this is the time to double down on your strength. So this is actually the best time to really make sure you're doing solid strength work, because as you get closer to your peaking for your next race, your next training cycle, your runs are going to get harder. Your weekly mileage is going to peak. Your long runs are going to peak. So that's a lot of stress to your body. And that's where the strength training actually comes down. Um, so now that you have this like base level of fitness and strengthening right now is the best time to even get stronger progress your strengthening a little bit and build your solid running base. And what am I talking about? You're basically in base training phase right now. 
um, Gina. So that's really where we want to focus on your weekly mileage and getting that up to a higher point that's normal for your body than it was at when you started your last half marathon training cycle. So let's just say, and I can't remember what your weekly mileage was when you did first start our program way back when, um, if you were doing 10 miles a week, right? Like now you want to think about, Hey, when I start my next training cycle, I want my body to feel like totally rest, recovered, rejuvenated. Um, it feels normal to run 15 or 18 miles per week. And then you start your half marathon training cycle and you build from that. So now we're always kind of taking our base level of fitness and we're just raising it a little bit with each training cycle and how we build that base up is during this base training phase where you're not focusing on speed. And I know you weren't focusing on speed for your first training cycle, but right now you're not focusing on speed. You're focusing on just building up that weekly base training where it feels comfortable for you. You shouldn't be having pain, you know, things shouldn't be hard for you, but you're comfortable with it. And then that's your new level of fitness for that next training cycle. And then you go through a progressive ramp up for like a marathon training cycle. And then in that next level, so for you, that's when we start to add in speed work because now you've done it before you've can run 13.1 and you have this nice base level of fitness. So now we add in some, you know, tempo runs and we're doing these like faster intervals for a specific time period, or we add in interval runs, which is shorter time period and maybe running faster. So there's different ways that we can add in speed work into your run plan and then change the focus of your strength training um, at that point. So hopefully that was uh, helpful for you. There's a huge resource I would highly recommend to anyone who is wondering um, the answer to Gina's question. Um, you know, we covered this in depth of like, what is base training? And that was actually the first episode that I did in uh, 2022 to kick off uh, the new year. I know I have to think about what year it is. Um, so I will definitely drop that link to that episode um, in you know, the show notes to this episode, because it was super helpful, super informative. Um, so that's episode 105 for those listening on the podcast. Um, check that one out. And then there's also another episode in there linked that I'm referring to this concept of training cycles um, that Gina is asking about. So that will be super helpful to check out the training cycles episode as well. Um, but yeah, episode 105 where that video um, Check out that to learn more about how to structure your base training phase. Great question though, Gina. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So last two questions from our audience. Um, Jean in the coaching program sent a Facebook messenger with two questions. Um, the first one is now that it's vacation season, do you plan your routes ahead of time or do you wing it? And then do you have any um, favorite apps for planning? That's all part of one question. Hmm. Okay. So great question. Um, Jean, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. Vacation season. Hey, I am a big vacation guy. Like we love to get away. Um, do I plan my route? I, well, see, it's hard to ask me this question personally, because I don't plan my routes ever. Um, <laughs> I'm not a route planner. I'm an out and backer. I never do loops. Um, for some reason, loops always make me feel like I'm running longer. I'm more of the out and back kind of guy. So 
I usually like exploring. So I go out. If it's a four mile run, I'm going out two miles in one direction, turn around, I'm coming back two miles in the other direction. So I kind of know where I'm going. If I am on vacation and I don't know my surroundings, usually I like to ask the hotel staff like, Hey, which way is the best way to run out of here? Um, Cause sometimes you could run into like the bad part of the neighborhood um, where you're like, okay, it's a little shady around here. Um, I don't feel too safe. Right. So you kind of want to make sure you're going in the right direction. Um, but that's what I do. But I know many runners love uh, planning their routes ahead of time and they'll do like map my run. Um, I personally have never done that before. Like I've never literally like mapped out my route. Um, ahead of time that might sound strange to some runners um, but I don't like around my house I've been living here for um, I should know the answer to this like 18 years <laughs> um, so I've been literally like checking out all the different areas from my house all the different options um, I've done them before and so I kind of know like hey this is where I want to go for like my shakeout run before my races because it's like this nice scenic area and that's like the only road I ever run down it's actually called scenic uh and uh <laughs> that's the actual road I run down before my races because I'm kind of like superstitious like that um or this is the route I do um for my weekly runs I run this way out of my house and I do these kind of side streets and then I get on the main strip fairly quickly because I run early and a lot of times it's dark. So I get to where the street lights are pretty bright uh, and I'm running like on a straightaway essentially. Um, and then on my week uh, end runs, my long run, I'll go a different pathway. So I'll run some more side streets and because it's usually lighter out when I'm doing that. But yeah, I've never actually mapped my runs out, but map my run apparently is a good, um, I'm sure there are many others. Now. I bet you could probably do it on Strava. I have no clue. That might be a stupid response for me to say because I, I really don't know but I feel like there's many people who are listening to this if you guys are watching the video version of this like let you know like type in the comment box what you do uh because I don't do this um <laughs> I'm sure that will help her um yeah and then what was the second question Jean had um so she asks are there any areas you should avoid rolling out or using um the hypervault so the machine gun on yeah. So like a, a massage gun, essentially massage like a percussion gun. gun. Love those, by the way. Um, big fan, big fan of foam rolling. Um, so are there any areas you should avoid rolling? Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so the areas that you should avoid rolling are areas that are not soft tissue. <laughs> um, that <laughs> might seem self-explanatory, but it's not because let me think of some areas that common sites um, is a good one here, right? IT band, everyone like knows about the IT band. Um, should you roll it? Should you not roll it? Um, there's some controversial topics to that, whether to roll, to not roll. I like rolling, but my caveat is slightly in front and slightly behind the band to cause a decompressive effect. So I don't go directly laterally for the kill um, where it's like super painful. So I'll adjust and roll slightly in front, slightly behind. There's my take on the IT band. Um, I got a video for that. If you want the video, just type <laughs> IT band into the comment box. Um, but when people are rolling their IT band, if you go higher up on the hip, there's this bump on the outside part of your hip. It's called your greater trochanter. It is a bone. There's a bursa over that. If you roll over that, you're going to piss it off. It's not going to be happy with you. It's going to be painful. And you're not doing it any justice rolling over it. Like it's not doing anything, but irritating it. So you want to avoid that bone. Um, definitely avoid that bone if you're rolling on the side of your hip. So usually what I'll have people do is 
roll out the TFL muscle, which is actually connects to your IT band, which is right above that bone and slightly in front, roll that out first, release it, and then adjust your foam roller to go below that bone on the side of your hip. So you don't roll over it um, and get kind of like, I don't know, the more your mid thigh area versus like the upper thigh, outer thigh. Um, and yeah, like the big thing is like bony prominences essentially. So if someone was like rolling out their shins, cause they had some shin splints. Um, if you go too high, you're going to hit like the fibular head and there's a nerve that comes out over there. So you don't want to like just roll over your nerve because then you're going to start feeling tingling in your foot and ankle, which wouldn't be a good thing. Um, what are some other common sites? You know, the proximal hamstring tendinopathy folks, they want to roll where it's painful. Um, I'm not a big fan of having my client roll that on their own and probably just irritate it, even though it feels like it wants to be rolled. Um, so I will go slightly below that area and tell them to roll and then roll the whole muscle belly of the hamstring. Um, and because there is a bone there, your ischial tuberosity, there is a bursa there. And yes, it is a tendon problem usually. Um, that's the cause of that. And I just feel like most of my clients who try to roll on that, like they literally sit on it and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to roll this painful spot out. It's kind of like you're just rolling over your ischial tuberosity and your bursa, which probably isn't going to do much. If anything, it might irritate it. Um, those are the big ones. Um, it's really a matter of like not rolling over bony prominences. I guess the exception to that would be in the, mid back area, your thoracic mm -hmm. spine, love rolling thoracic spine, big fan gets us out of the sitting posture, working on our computers, feels stiff, helps our running form, gets our chest out. So that you are rolling over your spinous processes. So those are bones and that's okay. And usually if you arch over that foam roller, you'll get some pops in there, you get some releases and you'll get increased mobility in your thoracic spine. But yeah, I think the big ones, the side of the hip, the greater trochanter, area. Um, that's probably the big one that you don't want to roll over, but great question. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, maybe like weirdly uncomfortable to think about rolling over like <laughs> nerves and bursa. Yeah. And stuff. <laughs> that's um, fun. no. Um, so I actually have a question from me, um, okay. that I came up with okay. today during my run. All right. Let's um, do this. So right before um, we started this tonight, I actually went for a run. I wanted to get it in today, even though it was like blistering hot out. Um, so I waited until the end of the day. I did plan that because I figured it would be a little less hot out, but um, I felt like I was running through molasses and I felt like I was going so slow because it was so hot. And I um, literally said to myself, I was like, don't try to go fast. Like just go slow, like go to slow pace. But I ran like a 15 minute mile. <laughs> And which is like not what I do. And, um, I was literally thinking about it while I was running. I was like, I'm going to ask Dwayne tonight because it's asked Dwayne. Um, so what's your best <laughs> advice for running on days like today with like running in the heat, especially with summer coming up, it's going to get hotter. What is your go-to method and advice? Yeah. So I guess first off, everything you felt is completely normal. Oh, That's good. what you should feel, <laughs> um, during your first runs in actual heat and humidity. It feels like crap. It feels like you're okay. running through quicksand. Your legs are heavy. Your breathing is all off. You're like overheating. It sucks. Um, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. It does take our body like a good, I've seen some people reference different, like two to three weeks to really adapt to like running in the heat. 
And for us on the East Coast here in the Northeast, at least, um, not in Florida, um, in the Northeast, you know, it's tough, like this time of the year, um, when you get to like, spring, late spring, early summer, we get like these spurts of like two to three days in the nineties. And then we'll have like days in the seventies. So, you know, your body really doesn't adapt usually around here until like July, August, when you're having consistent humidity, consistent heat, and then it, it adapts, it feels better. So it is going to get better. That's the good news. Um, but it is a matter of, you got to hydrate more, um, you have to think about your electrolytes more. You usually have to think about your nutrition a little bit more. Like when we talked about earlier in terms of like what you're eating beforehand, usually when it's that hot, you know, people will get nauseous and, um, mm. you know, you don't want to go running like a full belly, right. You don't want to like have lunch and like a full lunch and then try to go for a run like a half hour later. Right. You want to have like a light snack, um, you know, 30 hour minute you know, 30 minutes or an hour or two before, um, especially running in the heat. I find that we don't tolerate like being full and running. Um, so yeah, it's a matter of like electrolytes is the big one to add in where in the winter running, we don't need electrolytes at all because we're not sweating that much, but mm -hmm. in summer running, you're sweating a whole lot. You lose electrolytes through your sweat. You need to replenish them. And that is before your run, during your run, after your run, especially for your long runs. So that's like the big key ingredient there. And then just, yeah, trying to pick the coolest parts of the day. Like you did. I don't know, man. I'll see people like out there running at like midday, like 12, one. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe they don't have like another, that's the only time they could possibly run, but yeah, that is tough. And, or they're like training to, because they're going to run a race. That's really hot. Then it's smart to train in those conditions. Um, but for the most part, yeah, you want to try to pick that coolest part of the day, early morning or in the evening when things start to cool down a little bit. Um, but everything you experience is totally normal, Allie. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm really nervous because I haven't had that happen yet this year. And I do have a half marathon this Saturday and I'm hoping I don't feel that for Saturday and fingers crossed the weather works out. It's looking pretty promising right now, but if it's hot that day, I'm going to be screwed because my body hasn't heat adapted whatsoever. Right. Like it just has happened where we've had like hot days and they haven't been my long run days or even my speed work days. So I really haven't run in heat yet this year, but I know every year it sucks when you get that like first long run, that's super humid, super hot. Um, yeah, you just feel everything that you felt. Yeah, good to know. You're not um, alone. <laughs> not alone. Um, I think that's the fun thing about like being a beginner runner too, is that, like I do things and I'm like, no, my like, what's wrong with me? But like, it's so like validating to hear that like, not alone, not everybody goes through it. Um, so before we end, I have some lightning round, just like fun, get to know Dwayne questions. Um, okay, cool. A little spark lightning round. I like it. Yes. Um, okay. So what is your favorite vacation spot with the family? Uh, definitely anywhere where there's a beach. And then I would definitely have to say Disney. Uh, we're big Disney fans. So don't judge. I know it's like weird. <laughs> there's like either Disney lovers or Disney haters. And that's fine. Like if you're, Disney's not your thing, I completely respect you. I understand. But yeah, we love Disney. We've always loved Disney, the family. We pretty much went every year um, since the girls have been born. Um, it's been a little bit now since we went last. My wife's like itching uh, to get there. But um, 
yeah, we love Disney and we love beaches. So like we've been really like um, really trying to explore all the beaches kind of on the East Coast. Um, so we've done Myrtle Beach a couple of times. Last year we went to um, Outer Banks, uh, North Carolina. So OBX, that was probably our favorite, honestly, beach that we've visited so far. We did um, Old Orchard Beach in Maine, um, which was nice. And water is way too cold for us. Uh, even in <laughs> August, it's like, does the water ever warm up up here? No, it doesn't. Um, and then we live in Connecticut. So like Connecticut, I'm sorry, I uh, don't need to offend any Connecticut residents, but we really don't have beaches here in Connecticut. Being from Long Island, New York, like the sound is not a beach. Uh, so what actually <laughs> my wife and I did uh, this weekend is we go to Rhode Island. So we'll go to Westerly, Rhode Island, um, near Musquamacate there. We'll do one of the private beaches in Westerly, kind of near Watch Hill. And that's our jam. It's an hour and 15 minute drive. It's worth driving another 30, 40 minutes to actually have like waves and like real sand and not rocks and shells and not like the Long Island sound. Um, so yeah, that's what we'll do on if we want to go for a quick is like go to Rhode Island, um, but yeah, we're actually going to try out a new one. Um, I'm super excited about that is try a new state and Maryland. So ocean city. So we're going to try that out, um, in a couple of months for July 4th. Yeah. Oh, July exciting. 4th week, uh, we'll be there. So follow along social media. I'll keep you guys up there. <laughs> Go for some runs along the beach, uh, there, but yeah, big beach, uh, fans. Awesome. Um, okay. So I know you're in your crazy six week Quinnipiac semester that you teach. So how do you unwind and relax after that? Oh, that's when the vacation's happening. <laughs> oh, well, that would be <laughs> Yes. Yes. That's what we did last year. That's when we went to the Outer Banks. Um, so absolutely. Yes. It's vacation time, beach, starting to read more. So getting into reading, getting into nice. calming down at night, getting off my computer, off my phone, so I apologize if you send me a message or a DM uh, late night and I don't respond. Uh, it's because I'm trying to wind down and decrease stress levels, anxiety, all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. my unwinding. Awesome. Um, okay. And then what was your latest Netflix binge? Oh, um, <laughs> so definitely Stranger Things. And at the time of this recording, it just came out literally a couple of... Uh, <laughs> days ago and we finished yes. all seven episodes uh last night so in one day did you do it in one day or did you guys like no like no we didn't like yeah it was over the weekend so it was like two episodes each day at nighttime um yeah we got to just kind of relax and yeah that's yeah. been the latest but yeah we enjoyed like the ozark series um that was another big one that just came back recently but yeah stranger things is yeah my mom and i watched it in like a day you've From watched my mom you watched all yeah. My seven. mom watched all seven on Saturday and then I didn't finish them until Sunday, but she was text she's like starting to text me and I was like, don't say anything. I was like, don't wow. ruin it. And Ramona, then so I, yeah. yes, I was like, I was like, do not ruin it. And then on Sunday when I finished it, I was texting her and I was like, plot twist. Oh my God. And she was so like, I don't want, we don't want to do any spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it, but that was one heck of a plot twist at the end. And I Absolutely. need July to come. Because definitely favorite episode was yes that seventh one it was masterful yeah. that's all i have to say is so kudos to the writers and yeah I, so it was i was not expecting not just you know like when you're not expecting an ending but just how in depth and mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it really was. It was impressive. That's all I have to say from a creative standpoint. It was very impressive. I was impressed. So it was like all connected, all amazing, all wonderful. So yes, indeed. Yes. All right. So thank you so much for allowing me to play the role of guest host. I love doing this. Um, yeah, and ask you all these fun. questions. Yeah, this <laughs> is so much fun. I love this. Um, I'm sure that the answers are going to be super helpful for runners out there um, wondering all of the answers to these questions. Um, if there was someone who listened to this and one of the questions resonated with them and they want to learn more about working with you or they would like to learn more about how you and our team of healthy runner coaches help runners overcome sticking points in their health and their training, how can they do that? Um, yeah, well, thank you, um, for asking that, uh, the best way to just do that is just to go to like learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com. And then that will get you our coaching program. It will get you our free eBooks. Um, if you do forward slash coaching, that will talk exactly about how we work with runners. Um, so learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com, um, is really how we work with runners now, um, whether or not you are struggling with some of the pains that I mentioned in this episode, or maybe like, you know, pretty much this was an interesting episode. We talked trots, we talked like rhinitis, <laughs> like runny noses. We talked, uh, I feel like a lot of different running form, um, not too many injury stuff besides tendonitis, tendinopathies. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have one of those stubborn tendinopathies and you haven't been able to get the help that you're looking for, um, whether or not it's just in your area, there's not running experts. And that's why I love what we do online now It's because we're helping runners all over the country and the world. Um, so shout out to our, like across the pond runners. Um, so we got a bunch in, um, UK, Australia, Scotland, um, Denmark. So yeah, we're, we're, it's really amazing to be able to help people where they're at, right. Because everyone doesn't have like a local running, you know, physio and coach in their areas. So, you know, that's how we help runners now is really get over those aches and pains or, you know, points in their training. And you just don't know how to structure your run plan properly or your strength plan properly and actually do strength exercises for runners because it is different than a normal boot camp class, CrossFit class, like general exercise um, for fitness. So runners should be training differently. Um, so that's what we do with runners. So you can check that link out. We'll put that in the show notes, of course. All right. Well, thank you to you, the listeners, whether you're listening now during your run, watching the video version within the Healthy Runner Facebook group or on the Spark Healthy Runner YouTube channel. We appreciate all of you. Make sure you go ahead and follow our Instagram account. It's at Spark Healthy Runner. And remember, every week we do these podcast episodes live within the Healthy Runner Facebook group. And we would love for you to join us and interact and ask your questions for all of our guests, not just Dwayne. You can learn more by checking out the events tab within our group, and you can see all the guests and topics that we have lined up for upcoming episodes. If you like this episode, then you will certainly like the next video or tune into episode 100, where we did this the first time on the Healthy Runner podcast. Um, He shared his story about how we started running, um, how he started running, how Spark Healthy Runner has become what it is and where he sees it in the coming years. All right. So we're all set today, but thank you again, Dwayne, for having me on and having yourself on, letting me have you on. Um, And just remember guys, stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Bye. 
Hey, healthy runners, have you been listening to this podcast for a while and have been implementing the strategies we talk about on a weekly basis? If so, kudos to you for taking action because we all know those that are successful are those that take action. However, I do talk to many of you runners and you guys are trying to implement the strategies. Maybe you've seen some exercises on my Spark Your Training YouTube channel, but you're just not sure if that is exactly what you should be doing depending upon your situation. So if you're looking for clarity and focus in order to be able to collapse time so you don't have to figure it out all by yourself, that is exactly what we take care of with our team of experts in our one-on-one personalized run coaching program to get you stronger and faster so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. What do you get when you sign up for the Healthy Runner Coaching Program? You get 16 weeks of one-to-one run and strength training, coaching, and accountability. You get strategic one-on-one deep dive coaching on a monthly basis. You get focused feedback on your training on a weekly basis. You get the strength program for running resource library and you get lifetime access to that. You also get an online, personalized, structured run and strength plan. You get a community of like-minded runners, and then access to our trusted Healthy Runner coaching team made up of certified run coaches, a physical therapist, a registered dietitian, and personal trainers and fitness instructors. If you are interested in seeing if you are a good fit to work with myself or anyone on our team, then just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Check out the behind the scenes video tour of the program and hear from runners just like you who have been through our program before. We would love to provide you the clarity on what you should be focusing on in your training, whether it is getting stronger with strength training, the specific types of runs you should be doing, or the nutrition you should be fueling your body with for those runs. If you're ready to get the support and accountability you need to take action and put the work in, then I would love to hop on a call with you to see if you're a good fit for a one-on-one healthy runner coaching program. Just head to sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching and get signed up for your enrollment strategy call with me today. Thanks so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's four ways I can help you grow as a runner for free. One, grab a free copy of my Spark Blueprint at programs.sparkyourtraining.com. Two, follow my Instagram page at sparkyourtraining. Three, join my free group by searching Healthy Runner in Facebook. Four, subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash sparkyourtraining. Five, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential runners and bring those lessons back to you here. Don't forget, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode of Healthy Runner to help you get stronger, faster, so you can enjoy lifelong injury-free running. Lastly, if you are ready to invest in becoming a lifelong injury-free runner and want one-on-one structure, accountability, and support, from our Healthy Runner coaching team, check out the the behind-the-scenes video tour of our coaching program and the stories from many of our athletes who are struggling with the same sticking points that you are right now. Just head to programs.sparkyourtraining.com forward slash coaching. Thank you again, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate you for listening. Now go and crush your run today.